0: Petersfield's Shine Radio.
1: This is Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly.
0: Hello, I'm Susie Wilde, and you're listening to Talking Books. This month, Tim and I are here to bring some light into dark old January.
2: And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books, with some exciting new books to look forward to as the year on false.
0: excellent so in line with Janus looking forward to back Tim um I think I'm going to choose now what my favorite book was from last year I'm going to spring it on you now but I'll go first if you like uh, go so what I did about this was there were too many to really think about so I just went for the first one that popped into my head which was uh Piranesi. Ah, excellent right and that and we've mentioned that if you know listeners we've we've had it before I've mentioned it on to our own book club and I think without exception everybody really thought it was superb whether or not they choose it as their favorite but it's such a an exceptional book it's
2: certainly a very strange book and uh I, I when I re- picked it up and I read the first couple of chapters, I thought, oh my goodness, where is on earth is this book going? Do, do I want to read this even? Yeah. And then very quickly you get sucked into it. Uh, and of course, it slowly it slowly reveals itself like an onion, kind of layer after layer. And eventually it, it is very satisfying, I think, as a read.
0: So do so. believe the hype. How do about you? Have you got one? Can you?
2: I have got one. I was going to talk about Catherine... Heine's book early morning riser
0: oh no i haven't read it
2: uh it's it's set in in place called boyne city in in michigan in america uh it's about a young teacher called jane and she's in her 20s she's recently moved there uh started a new job and she meets duncan when she gets locked out he's a handyman and he the only problem with duncan he's practically perfect in every way except he seems to know everybody in boyne city and especially all the women Ah. um and so uh, it's it's kind of warm, it's witty, it's not without its dark bits uh, and its tragic tragedies, uh, but it's full of charm and uh, reminds me a bit of, of Anne Tyler uh, in her with her stories, her novels about Baltimore. But it's 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 really really charming. And, oh, I um, must read it. You must read it.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. So um, let's kick off then with what we're currently reading. So Tim, why don't you go first this month?
2: Well, I've been reading the girl with the louding voice by abidare which is a i think i've pronounced that right i'm not sure she's a nigerian writer and it's about a uh, nigerian girl who who from from the rural nigeria uh, who living in a village and she's 14 when her mother dies and her father doesn't have any money so he f- effectively sells her to Ooh. the taxi driver as the taxi driver's third wife it's a pretty dark dark reading to start with this book Anyway, it, it doesn't stay in the village because she escapes and she ends up in the city and, and perhaps in a slightly worse position um, as a maid to a, a pretty brutal um, family. So uh, but don't worry, it's not all dark and <laughs> it, it's got it's got plenty of humour in it as well. Well, I won't tell you how it ends, but it's not all dark. Put it okay. that way. Uh, so that's the first one I was reading. The second one is is The Promise by uh damon galgut the south african writer this is this won the booker prize this year it's um it's a really interesting book it's about a sort of family saga set over uh, about a generation um of the swart family an Afrikaner family and uh it's somebody paraphrased it as four funerals and a wedding and it is it is basically uh a a series of funerals really this book laugh a minute laugh a minute and um uh, some of the people you're quite pleased to say have probably met, <laughs> met their maker. But, um, but it is, it's a really interesting book because he tells the story in a very different way. And, um, and it's been described by some reviewers as kind of modernist, a modernist writing of a, of a family saga. Um, and if, if, if that is what a modernist writing is, I think he does it extraordinarily well because he does muck around with, with tones of voice and um, uh, styles, uh, but he really grips you. And uh, you really want to know what happens, and uh, so I th- and I think it's a kind of metaphor for for modern South Africa, uh, and uh, a great read. Really I think good. the
0: Booker Prize is looking up, don't you? The numbers. Well, of I think books. it's a really
2: it's a really good winner this year, and I think yeah.
0: it's. Um, and Bane was. Great. Yeah, I
2: haven't read Shuggy Bane yet. My uh, I, I'm told by by two members of my family have said it's the best book they've read in uh, the last year.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so I really must get on and read it. But it is—it's not a—not an easy read. That's—that's no. that's one thing to say about it. And the third book I've been reading is Violetta by Isabel Allende, uh, the Chilean writer. Um, and it's a new—that her—it's her latest book. It's not out for a little while yet. At
0: what age? Some a great
2: age, isn't she? Well, the book actually—the book is—is is a sort of—it's a sort of saga, family saga, like a lot of her best books. It starts off in I think just about just after the First World War. So it does. I um, don't think shes she, she not think she's as old as that, but but uh, but it's it's so it's a it's covering the whole twentieth century really in in Chile, and it's um it's a good read. I'm only three quarters of the way through, and i'm I'm really enjoying it
0: and Allende has just remarried. Or at least she said she'd never marry again. I think she has a new, let's call him boyfriend. Oh right, okay. Which is, you see, I'm up with all the gossip. Up with the gossip, yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, me. So, um, as I think I said for the Christmas show, that Richard and I always give each other books um, in the Icelandic tradition to just read over Christmas and, and really nothing else. Latterly, especially. So. Um, we just read and read and read. But don't worry, I'm not going to bore you all with our total list. So here's just my favourites. I read a lot of romance. So Jenny Colgan, Karen Swan, again, partly because it's really good sort of, practice i suppose for me to read the greats but the ones set at christmas are really lovely and totally got me in the mood because we couldn't go out carol singing and so on and so forth so that was good but the ones that i always return to are th- crime and thrillers so my top pick was triple cross by tom bradby which is his latest Excellent. i yep. think only in hardback at the moment it is yes um but it continues a, a, a sort of this is the third book i think in in this particular um narrative arc um so i don't really want to say too much about it because it will just ruin the first two books if you haven't read them yet but obviously this is a guy who knows stuff Um, and the darker side of politics and so on, if it's possible to get darker in fiction, than the reality. Um, There's also Fatal Isles by Maria Adolfsson, which was voted the Sunday Times Best Thriller of the Year. Um, I was really interested because I saw, just preparing for this show, that it was originally published in Sweden as Felsteg, which is The Wrong Step. Now, I don't know about you, but that wouldn't grab me as a title um and I haven't quite finished it yet so I don't know whether it even would give things away with that title okay but although I sort of sneered a bit at Fatal Isles because you know here we go you know it's a classic sort of death in the islands all that sort of thing yeah but it's suitably like Shetland and um, for those of you who don't know, it's um, it's set entirely in Doggerland, as though Doggerland actually okay. exists, still exists, as a set of three islands. And where she's hugely successful in having um, a detective that you do care for, just like an Anne Cleves like, like Vera, but Very, so yeah, very yeah, yeah, like yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, she's not at all like Vera, but in having one that you totally effortlessly are gunning for, it's very like it. But utterly believable geography topography um, weather system everything it's Doggerland totally comes alive and the very last because I do like to mention audiobooks several of my friends who write middle grade fiction kept talking about A Clock of Stars Um, book one is called Shadow Moth by Francesca Gibbons so I've got the one um, narrated by Imogen Church who's really good she reminds me in her delivery a lot of Lisa evans who was one of our guests um with that sort of bubbling energetic humorous voice that makes you want to listen um, the second well all books are illustrated by chris riddell who i adore so i might have to buy the next one just to get his illustrations but i did think parents if you want a good bedtime book it would be a fantastic one to read because i think you'd enjoy it as well because it's so reminiscent for those of us of an age of say the lion the witch and the wardrobe that sort of thing um there's quite frightening beasts in it called screts which is a great name i think but but it's mm-hmm. good it's a good read good well i must say I'm, one i'd want to comment about is a tom bradby because
2: i i think he's he is getting better and better as a writer um, I think he came to writing quite late and he was already he already a kind of a, a celebrated news reporter when he first started with um, Shadow Dancer back in the I don't know, must be twenty twenty plus years ago. It's got to be. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think his, this new series, the the um, Secret Secret Service double agent and Triple Cross, are, are a great little series. Actually, they so.
0: really are. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So now it's our interview section, and for a change, our producer John Wellsman usually has to sit in silence or not. He's he just known to laugh, um, but he has many things he'd like to ask Tim. So over to you, John.
1: So I really wanted to find out more about uh, Tim O'Kelly, the bookshop owner. And obviously the book enthusiast and, and really find out more about you, your interest in books, how you got to uh, create a bookshop for yourself and and what have been some of the highs and lows over that time. so I wanted to start really by Tim asking how how did you get into book was it was it something that you were just exceptionally bookish
2: as a child or or, or was there an influence in your life um I think I was fairly fairly bookish actually. I used to read a lot when i was when I was little, and um i uh, i you read all the read all the usual you know, the usual stuff that um children read and then i i quite soon i think i moved on to reading more more adult books when i was quite little so i'm always i'm always reluctant when people come in and say you know what what should my 10 year old read what should my 12 year old read what should my 8 year old read because actually it's what it's what inspires them what what you know what gets their imagination going and it doesn't need there's no real age when you can read books or not read books i don't think i think it's very it's through a real mistake to 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 say be prescriptive about what is the right age for a book obviously there's there are some books that are you know not you know you, you shouldn't be reading if you're prone to nightmares or you or or you know you're squeamish about stuff or or you want to be protected from really horrible stuff then yeah don't read it but by and large you know there are pretty much no taboo books can you think back to some of the highlights of your
1: your book reading career, if you like? What what led us up to the point at which you opened a bookshop and and maybe your career in between? But let's talk about the books first. What what were
2: some of the influential books in your younger years? Well, I mean, like a lot of a lot of uh, boys and girls of, of of young age, I loved Ina Blyton. I read loads of the Famous Five and the Secret Seven and the uh, the, the 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 mysteries. Really enjoyed all that lot. Um, I remember enjoying James Herriot when it when it first came out. Or Maybe it wasn't when it first came out. When the TV <laughs> series first old. came out. Uh, and uh, so there's there's I used to read a lot of a lot of mysteries and a bit of, quite a bit of crime. Uh, so I read I read I've always read quite broadly. I would say I've never really been stuck into into a narrow. Um, don't just read fantasy or just read science fiction or just read history or. I'd like to read all, all sorts of things. Um and uh so I used to read quite, quite a few classic Roller Dickens when I was when I was in a quite young as well. But um so yeah, all sorts of things. So turning it on head its head,
1: then when you have a, a parent coming into the bookshop today, are, are the the classic books of of your era maybe some of the ones you referred to are they still popular or are very much as 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 you referred to in the in the previous segment? We're we're looking at more modern
2: uh, middle fiction and and the like. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of really good um, fiction out there now being produced right now and but a lot of parents are comfortable with the books that they read or that they that they know about so there's a bit of a divergence there and I think it's it's our job as booksellers actually to, to introduce you know good new writers that are uh writing now uh that are relevant to to young people now as well which is I mean because all very well reading you know Blyton and um and stuff which is you know lashings of ginger beer and and you know <laughs> will there be crumpets for tea yep. you know it is just a little bit it's a bit it's a bit dated so and i think date, yeah. i and i think that um you know there are so many good books out there now uh that it's it's important to to pass that on so so let's move on to your career then what got you into the book world
1: for real before we talk about the shop what what what, what did you do before the shop came along
2: well i started off as a, as a um, i left university i was didn't really have much idea what I wanted to do and uh I started working for a publisher, book publisher in London, uh as a as a sales rep. So I would go round the bookshops, um, showing off the new books to to the um prospect, to the to the to the booksellers. To be any good at, at selling books to 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 booksellers who are fairly jaded bunch. <laughs> uh, you have to you have to read the books. Yep. And you have to somehow pass on the enthusiasm that you've you've had so is that reading, reading
1: them cover to cover or just reading the synopsis well, and hoping you get away with it
2: yeah they, again you can't you can't <laughs> get away with, you can't get away with too much with booksellers so <laughs> they'll take take you apart and especially if you're a sort of a naive young 20 something year old who who uh who doesn't really know anything at all about anything um so you have to you have to put the work in mm. and so i did a lot of reading in that at that at that time um and then i moved i moved into the office and did various jobs in London for, this, for, for a big publisher until eventually they said, uh, we've got a job in New Zealand, do you fancy it? Uh, partly they, they wanted to get rid of me, I suspect, but, uh, <laughs> but also there was a, a really good opportunity to, mm. to, to be a much bigger fish in a, in a, in a very small pond. Mm. Um, and I spent two very happy years out there uh, really learning all about the whole book, the whole book trade and um, I really enjoyed myself, but I missed, I missed uh, friends and family and things. So we, so we came back with uh, my first daughter, and um, who was born out there, and uh, I started working for Macmillan, uh, uh, who are an academic publisher, and I did the, the, looked after their the UK sales for them, and I did that for another couple of years, and um, and then I um, decided to change tack. And changing tack is is, I
1: presume, looking to open a bookshop? And right. I'm, I'm, I'm where and why? I mean, obviously we know
2: where the where, but why? Why uh, Petersfield? Well, I, I'd grown up in this area, so I knew. I knew I, I grew up in, in South Harting, and I, and I, I've always known Petersfield. It's always been a it's been a, a favourite place of mine. And so when I started working, came back to the UK from New Zealand, I, I moved down to, I came back to South Harting, and um, and I worked over in Basingstoke for Macmillan. And it transpired that the the bookshop page one that was the really really nice bookshop that was in petersfield um closed down and a couple of people came to me and said look you you're you're a book person why don't you why don't you set up a bookshop in town there's a crying and a great demand for it um and uh, and so i did I went to my boss and I said, Look, I'm I'm gonna open a bookshop in Peacefield And he said, You must be mad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
1: and did you have full confidence in yourself? Do you know were, were you gunning for it or or did you have some uh, concerns
2: or qualms about doing it? Well I did. I think you'd be you'd be you'd be mad not to. But uh I did know a fair bit about the trade. Mm-hmm. i you know, I'd been been in it for nearly a decade and I had uh i been into myriad numbers of bookshops in that time. Uh, I I sort of knew what I was letting myself in for. Um, I knew I had lots of good contacts with publishers as well, which is always useful. Um, and I knew what sort of books I liked and what sort of books I thought I could sell. And I reckoned that they were the same thing. And also, I thought that you know, I thought my I thought I knew my customer base pretty well. I knew lots of people in the area. Um, I say having haven't grown up here, and also having mm. having now then come back here, so um, it seemed a good place to be. And uh, so, in, in November nineteen ninety four, I, I found this place in Lambs Street, which was an old old um, hardware store, and I rented it from from some some from B and Q I think who, who who owned it before me. I just rented the very front bit of it, mm. and um, gradually over the last you know few years, I've expanded and gone upstairs and and moved right to the back of the back of the building, and um, yeah, I've had a lot of fun. And Was it a success from day one, or did it did it take a lot of
1: hard graft and, and a lot of uh, you know schmoozing uh, to to get people interested?
2: Well, um, I think there was there was a demand for for a nice bookshop in town. I mean, there was this, uh, page one had been very successful, and uh, so people people wanted an independent bookshop. I mean, obviously there's a wonderful uh, PCO bookshop store here, uh, but there was no other shop mm-hmm. in town at the time. Of course, within about a month of me opening. Um, Bell's Bookshop opened in, in Rams Walk, which then became Ottakers and then since then it's become Waterstones. But but so, uh, yeah, so that was that was poor timing. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but I think that I think they probably thought, well, like I did, that there is there is a demand for, mm. for it's a bookie place and there's lots of lots of call cool for, for bookshops.
1: So so you've you survived in, haven't you? You know, you survived as the independent bookshop, whereas uh, obviously
2: the other one got bought out. Yes. Um I think there is I think there is a demand for for independent uh booksellers and bookselling mm. because people I don't know they like they like the notion that uh that there is a person there who is choosing the books mm. who's curating the shop whereas if you're part of a the chain then you're not doing that because someone in the head office is is telling you what you know what what books you should be stocking. Yeah. So um that's why there is there is a real place for, for places like us and, and the Peacefield Bookshop who who have individuals running it and who know what they're doing. What have
1: been um, some of the, the trends in those times? Um, you know, obviously printed material is still popular because of the shelves of Granbury books. But obviously you've got some challenges with Kindle and Audible and, and other types of books we'll come back to in a second but what what have been some of the highlights and maybe some of the challenges over the the 27 years you've been
2: here well yeah I mean the, the, when when the the uh, Amazon first started there was it was clearly going to be a, you know, a tricky competitor and I think a lot of bookshops ha- were when I started in 94 the um the first thing to happen to to us as a well, first obviously that the fact that we had a competitor in Rams Walk was the first thing uh, that was after a month uh, after about a year we had a they stopped having this thing called retail price maintenance where you, everybody in the whole country sold the books at the same price mm. and that stopped after about a year uh, so um that was a that was a second challenge the third challenge was was kindle coming along mm. um, and at the time we you know we were we were quite worried about that and um cuz there was quite a big movement in the trade and i i used to write for the the bookseller's called mm-hmm. the the, sort of the trade magazine Used to do a column occasionally in there, and I said, "Well, you know, is the Kindle going to be like the the pasta maker, uh, which is going to gather dust under under the shelf, or is it going to be something that changes the industry? Is it going to be like the like the Hoover? You know, is it going to really revolutionise the way the way people people consume books? And of course, it just been after the, the the music industry had been um, practicable well, the the, the, the Recorded music industry had been decimated mm-hmm. by by the advent of the iPod and um, digital music uh, because actually, ultimately, the, it's a very easy and handy way to consume music is digitally, and, and suddenly you don't need CDs or CD players or anything like that. You just you just download stuff, um, and that has carried on. That hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The um, the CD is effectively pretty pretty moribund. But and, vinyl
0: has become. And huge.
2: vinyl's come back, of course, yeah. but that's another another story. Um, so that was that's. Would the same thing happen to, to books? And of course, it didn't because uh, the book is just a wonderful invention. It's a, it's a really fantastic invention. Um, it's five six hundred years old, and it's showing no sign of of um, of going out of fashion because it is just so simple. It's easy to produce. It's very durable. You can read it in the bath. You can you can um, drop it on the beach and put sand in it. You can do whatever you like with it. It's pretty much indestructible. Obviously, you can't drop it in the bath, uh, <laughs> but it's it's pretty it's pretty good and it's not expensive really. Think about the you know, the cost of the entertainment that you get from it. Um, what comparable things cost, like theatre tickets or or cinema tickets, um, and you can when you've read it. The great thing is you can just pass it on, give it to a friend uh if you liked it and if you didn't like it well you can give it to the charity shop or whatever you want it but you've it's got a life that that carries on or you just put it on your shelf and show off look i've read the latest booker prize aren't i aren't i clever uh so you can you know you can do what you like with a book it's fantastic um so as a product it's brilliant uh whereas a digital book is less good uh for lots of reasons obviously some you know some ways it, it's brilliant if you if you've got um you know, if you if you're traveling and you can't carry lots of books with you, and uh, that's when digital books come into their own. But, but by and large, you know, we're not finding that it's taken our, our market. So that was the the next challenge to come along. Um, no doubt, we'll be, there'll be lots more. I'm sure.
0: One of the reasons I mentioned the vinyl thing is actually the book is having a resurgence, isn't it? In yeah, well, I think. I think so. Yes, it never went, but it is. Sort of perfect, and one of my rare moments of prophecy in twenty ten was why can't we have everything? Why? Why do we always think that something is going to push everything else out? Why can't it be this and that and that and that? Because it all has different uses. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's right. So, what were some of the highlights then? Are there there particular highlights over the last twenty seven years that you can think of?
2: I've enjoyed. Lots of parts of the business. I did. I did uh, one thing I enjoyed doing was I was a judge for a book prize back in, uh, well, back at the beginning of the century. Actually, it seems like a long time <laughs> ago, is not it? Horrible. It's 2002 uh, for the Whitbread um, <laughs> oh, Best Novel Prize, uh, which was which I really enjoyed. That I mean, that was a a a, a, re- a year of serious reading where I read uh, umpteen, oh, I don't know about 40 novels mm. uh, in a in a three month period, which was. Which was fantastic but exhausting,
0: and you can't cheat that, John. If you follow up, <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to. You have to
2: read them all. Yeah. You have to. You yeah. can't. You can't. Um, you can't stint on that. And that was really fun and, and challenging and interesting. Um, and I suppose the other highlight, one of the other highlights, was was being the, the bookseller of the year, which one Tree Books back in twenty eleven was mm-hmm. the was the bookseller of the year. So uh, um, got a nice big prize for that, and that was great. Um, and um, so I suppose they're, they're probably the highest. but also just surviving is, is a highlight. Every day uh, that I come in, and I'm, you know, I've still we're still going and we're still we're still doing okay, and uh, people are still buying books, and I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. So. Um, it's all good, really. So so I've noticed in, in
1: the shop there are other things than books. There's some cards and there's some children's games and, and other things. I, I suppose what I'm going to ask you is, are there as many books in the store today with the advent of Kindle and Audible as there were back in the late 90s, early 2000s?
2: Yes, I think that's right. I think there are as many books, actually. Um, I think there's more. The shelves are, shelves are full and... Um, people are still 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 wanting um to buy beautiful books as well as books to inform them and uh, books to entertain them so this, this yeah it's, it's still the same as ever I'd say so why do, why does
1: a bookshop then have all these extra things are they are they the sorts of things that you know that people once they bought a
2: book will then carry on and buy some of the other things i think we started doing it because people wanted it yep. really i mean yeah. uh, and because people expect to find good nice cards in a bookshop mm-hmm. and um Oh, I don't know what, what the reason for that is, but they do, yeah. and so we sell a lot of cards. Uh, we have a have a uh, Sue who who buys our cards now. I used to do it, but, but she's much better than me. She's she <laughs> has great great eye for a good card, and um, so she really enjoys doing that, buying the cards, and and uh, and we sell a lot of them. Mm. And uh, the games we've got a nice range of, of board games. Again, we start off initially, and we just had a couple, you know, a couple of chess sets or mm. something, and now we've got loads of board games. Mm and um anna chooses all those she chooses a great range of of games um we now have we have sheet music up here again the, the, you know the the, the uh there's still a demand a lot of a lot of people studying instruments um mm. so a lot, of, a lot of exam music but also a lot of just general music mm. um which which we enjoy and during lockdown we started doing much more many more jigsaws mm. uh at and that, you wouldn't believe the number of the number of jigsaws we've 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 done over the last couple of years. Um, and we now stock we stock loads of jigsaws now. And um, so it's just sort of it's sort of demand really. Yeah. People yeah. people come in and ask the things. we know oh, that's that's quite. A thing. Let's, let's do a few. There's of those, some synergy
1: it? there, there isn't there? As there, a feel, I can't describe how how that feels, but there is some synergy there.
2: Yeah, there is. I don't I don't quite know what it is, mm. but um, but yeah. And and finally,
1: what's the future uh, for you, for the bookshop, for the book trade? Can can
2: you can you get your crystal ball out and, and see where that's going? Good question, John. I don't know. Uh, I think it's going okay at the moment. I think that there's still a demand for books, and there's still a there's still a demand for the experience of browsing for books. And I think that you can't get online and you and where the high street i think will survive is through making the the, the experience of of being there a pleasant one so mm. the idea that you come into a bookshop and there's a nice smell of coffee and yep. and a nice croissant in the oven and uh and a well, nice smell of books as well nice my father was a printer
1: and i always remember the print trade you know the smell of ink and the mm. smell of
2: paper and yeah. and i think the same's for books isn't it yeah it is and uh, and the feel of a of a, a nice book straight out of straight out of the box. There's mm. a book that's just been published. The excitement of of an author that you love. There's a that's just that's just been just come out, or or just the interest of of coming in and saying, well, what should I be reading to, you know, saying to to a bookseller, what, you know, what what what's going well, what 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 would I enjoy? Uh, I've just liked this. What what what's next? And um, and that's excitement for me is is being able to to recommend books to people to to help them on their on their reading journey uh, and conveying some of the enthusiasm that I have for books to to other people.
0: Love of books you see I think a bookshop has the best of both worlds and particularly yours because not only do you do everything that you've said but also you can get a book fast so if somebody should come in knowing what book already they want you get it next day so why Mm. go to Amazon? and I'll also say to him, is that in the paper this week they were talking about the resurgence of bookshops and how, John, you'd be interested in this mm-hmm. as well, that actually they're being buying up shops just like you did so long ago and they have wine shops and things like that. So they'll be, you know, selling wine, good bottles of wine as well as books and so yep. on, like you did for Well, there's no, there's no
2: reason why, you know, why we don't have... Um...
0: I think I think I've seen
2: a bookshop where they've got where they, where they do wine tasting. Mm. And, it's brilliant. Uh, and have a little wine bar in the corner of the corner of the shop, and so people come mm. in. And but I mean, it's all about having nice. It's having pleasant experience, really. Yeah. Having Not having, right. uh, and it's you know, no one particularly enjoys going to the I don't know what you people do the, the dry cleaner or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just a bit of a chore, but. If you come to a place when you and uh, which you're comfortable in that has lots of wonderful, beautiful things in it, then that's, that's quite a good reason. And there's,
1: an, and there's an irony there because as, even as a blind person where I'm, I, re, I am reliant on Kindle and Audible for my, my book consumption and websites and the like, it's still coming into a place like this where I can't read a, a, a dot on a book here because you've got nothing in Braille, of course, Tim. Um, the, 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 it still has an atmosphere. It is, you're right. There's an intrinsic atmosphere to a bookshop, isn't there, that you can't replace with anything else.
0: Awfully nice people. And nice
1: people. And, yes. and
2: as you say, the smell of the books. Yes. You can still smell the books,
0: John. So, Tim, what's coming up that we should be looking out for?
2: Right, well, the book that's just out is White Debt by Thomas Harding. Oh, yes. Um, which is a, uh, a pretty searing read, really. It's about the, the uprising in Demerara, which was, we think of as, as, as sugar, but actually it was a place in, in, in Guyana, in, in the Atlantic coast of, of, uh, South America, uh, in the Caribbean. And it is, uh, about the uprising of the, the, the enslaved people there. And it is, it is, it is, bru- is a brutal, uh, brutally put down uprising. It changed the way that the British government then saw slavery, uh, and ultimately led to the, um, Abolition of slavery, so, so it's a very important um, moment in, in in history. But I think what's what's what he does that is interesting about in the book is that he he um, he went to Guyana and he went to the went to the plantation, the sugar plantation, and and he interviewed lots of people and talked to talked lots of people. And but what he does is he writes a chapter and he does as as you know he writes brilliant narrative history, and then he writes a reflection. Uh, in between each chapter of, which talks about his journey, um, and it's it's fascinating. so it's
0: part memoir. Almost so it's to... sort
2: of he, he brings he brings um, his experience of telling the story into the story. So it's it's a uh,
0: and he's a good spare writer. So yeah, no, he's be... he's, a, he's a terrific writer. Yeah.
2: So so that's uh, White Debt by by Thomas Harding. Another book I wanted to talk about is The Anomaly by Hervé letizier oh well done so hervé has just um, last year he won the he won the pre-goncourt which is the big sort of booker prize french booker prize um and this book has just been translated into English. now this book you know, makes you want it sound oh gosh it's not only is it french but it's also kind of literary oh mm, dear uh no don't worry at all actually it's not actually that french i would say it's part sort of mystery part thriller mm. uh Part fantasy in some ways, and it's in, the, in that it, it deals with a kind of um, well, an anomaly, okay. anyway. Uh, and it starts off with all these characters, uh, and they go on a, on, a, on a plane. Uh, and I won't tell you any more because that would reveal too much about it. But it is really gripping, actually, and um, it was a huge bestseller in France, um, the best-selling Goncourt ever, I think. So it is, and it's still selling. Uh, so it, it's just been translated, and I think um, I think it might do something over here. Actually, I think it might be mm-hmm. a big big seller. And the last book I was going to mention was Ariadne, which is just out in paperback. Yeah. Uh, this is Jennifer Saint, and there's been quite a lot of lot of talk about this book. And it's um it's a kind of it follows a sort of genre that's coming out at the moment of, of feminist retellings of Greek myths, like
0: Pat Barker.
2: Yeah, like Pat Barker. This is this is. Um, the Minotaur and King Minos and um, Theseus and, and... Is there a Minotaur
0: in it? I want to know.
2: Well, I think so, yes. Yes, I think you find a Minotaur in this book. Um, so that's 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 just out in paperback and I'm sure that will do well.
0: Good. Thank you very much, Tim. So now I'm going to go having you mentioning Enid Blyton and so on um, in your... Really interesting interview with John. I think you and I read very similar things when we were young, as in, there wasn't, um, there was no sort of age limit put on anything. So I could be reading The Castle of Adventure one minute and, um, The Woman in White the next, and I wouldn't sort of see any discrepancy in that. Um, but something else you said that really reminded me. So my backlisted choice is The Wild Hunt of Hagworthy by Penelope Lively, who, as you know, won the Booker Prize and the Carnegie Medal. So um, for those of you who don't know, that's one is an adult prize. The other is a prize for children's writing, um, which I think is pretty unusual, actually. Um, And she was only published, I think, for the first time when she her debut was in when she was in her 40s. So she's extraordinary in many ways. But there was an interview um, because she's just got a new book of short stories out. So there was an interview with her last October, which I looked back for this programme. And she was quoting Auden. She said, there are good books which are only for adults. There are no good books which are only for children. This is her. I felt that was quite right. So I thought I'd have a go um she was shortlisted for the Booker Prize The Road to Litchfield and an editor said he thought I should publish for adults under another name I could see what he was doing he was belittling children's literature he was saying I wouldn't be taken seriously I said no way and I love the fact not only did she stick for that but also um I just love the quality of her writing
2: Hmm. I, I mean, I'm. I'm only read a few of hers, but I've. I've always enjoyed her writing. I read Moon Tiger, which was the book that won the, won the that finally Price. won. Yeah. yeah, and also it was a book that's kind of um, very close to her heart because it was her, sort of her story. She was in. She grew up in Egypt during the Second World War, and um, that's why that's where it's set. Cairo, and she yes. only
0: saw her mother on a Wednesday afternoon. Oh,
2: uh And the photograph, uh, which is a. She wrote maybe maybe 10 years ago, which I thought was a really classy bit of writing as well. So I think she's great. And of course, it's the ghost of Thomas Kemp, is the one that That's I the think one won, she the, won the Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think she's absolutely wonderful. So I'm going to read um, a slightly longer extract than usual um, because it's a complete scene, but it also encapsulates, or Annette encapsulates, everything that I love about her, which is. Um, Her love of nature, how that really comes to the fore and not just in like a descriptive passage, but because it actually informs the darkening mood of the book and so on and so forth. But now I feel so nostalgic for it because this was written in 1971 and already it's like a lost idyll um, that this abundance of Exmoor is where this is set is no longer there. Uh, Some of it will be recognisable, but a lot of it isn't. And I think why children still love Enid Blyton, and I think children would still love this, is that sense of complete freedom. These children are feral. Um, They are allowed. It's not a contrivance, but obviously there were no mobile phones and so on then. And it even begins with the train journey, um, that the girl in this... um, Lucy is only 12 and she's doing quite a long train journey um, and her mother has left but I thought this was interesting so it's called The Wild Hunt of Hagworthy Um, and those of you who know and love Susan Cooper know she also touches on notions of the green man, the wild hunt, um, that and she's one of my favourites as well Um, and here right at the beginning in author's note I love this. There there are several. One's the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Um, so that's going back a bit. But this one is a member of the Stogumber Women's Institute, 1960. The Yeffhounds or Ghost Pack, were heard pattering through Stogumber after midnight this year, but no one looked out to see them even nowadays. They are known to run through the village and down towards Roebuck, then up onto Will's Neck. They are, 1960. Pebble spat against the window and woke her. She pulled the curtain back and saw Kester standing in the garden in the flat grey light of dawn. Are you coming? It's gone five. Just a minute. She pulled on clothes, ran a comb through her hair and went down, collecting a hunk of bread from the kitchen on the way. Whitby, the dog, gave her a look of mild astonishment and went to sleep again. Will we really see a stag? Can't promise, but we might. Kester got her bike out of the shed and was waiting in the lane. They set off without a word on the long pull up the valley, Kester riding ahead, whistling softly to himself. There was no sun yet, but the coom glowed with a soft light and hummed with noise and life. Wood pigeons rumbled and crashed in the trees by the road. The hedges were alive with birds, the fields full of munching cattle. It was as though all the business of the day must be crammed into these brief hours of the early morning. As the incline grew steeper, they got off and pushed the bikes. Kester turned once and said over his shoulder, ''All right, it's a long pull up.'' ''Yes, thanks.'' They trudged on in silence, heads down now, panting a little, the hedges high on either side of them. At last, the lane petered out at a gate with a sweep of open common on the far side. ''This is where we leave the bikes,'' said Kester. They went through the gate and began to walk through Bracken, still climbing the shoulder of the moor. The ordered pattern of fields lay behind them now, giving way to the rougher green and brown reach of Exmoor, stretching away on every side in long slack lines against the clear sky, the hills tucking down here and there into the deep folds of coombs lined with dark trees. Where are we going? said Lucy. Up the top. You can see right over from there, down the coombe and up the other side. That's where we might see something. They left the bracken behind and walked over heather, thick and springy under their feet, bone dry. The day had grown up a little, with the suggestion of an invisible sun risen somewhere behind the hills. It was quite still, without even a whisper of wind and the air was clear and clean as stream water, and the great shoulders of the moor bright with detail, white specks of sheep grazing, cattle, an occasional horse, birds flitting above the heather, and above all a great silence, broken only by the mew of a buzzard circling overhead, sheep calling, ravens croaking in a clump of trees somewhere below them. It was like being alone in the early morning of the world, very long ago. A curlew bubbled and then swung low over their heads, calling anxiously. ''She got chicks,'' said Kester. ''She'll try to lead us off. They must be somewhere near.'' They trod cautiously. The bird sailed low, settling and then rising again, and finally came to rest at the top of the rise, her curved bill sharp against the horizon as she watched them. They left her behind, making for the higher ground.'' As they reached the top, a new landscape opened up on the other side. The hillside plunged sharply down into a deep coom, reaching up from the chequered vale into the heart of the moor, and beyond that, the diminishing hills rolled away towards the flat grey of the sea, glittering, streaked by the wind with patterns of light and dark. Let's stop, said Kester. They sat on the heather. It's like a mattress, said Lucy. I'd like to sleep on it. A heron floated up from the trees below, sharp against the green trailing long legs. Above, the buzzard mewed again, sailing the sky in great sweeps and curves. Where are the deer? said Lucy. Don't be so impatient. They should be here somewhere. There's usually some, but you've got to look for them. They sat, scanning the hillside, the sun faintly warm on their backs now. Kester searched the heather yard by yard, his eyes screwed up, the soft light fringing his thin face. We're out of luck. I don't think there's any about. Never mind. It's nice up here anyway. They lay back, cushioned in heather. Do you often come? Quite often. I used to come up here with Jim and the others, but they fool about now or they want to bring guns and blast off at everything that moves. I'd sooner be on my own. Why did you do it last night? "'Getting at them so they'd chase you?' "'Kester stiffened, looked away. "'Why shouldn't I?' "'I didn't like it. (laughs) "'Anything else you don't like? "'I mean, just let me know, won't you?' "'Lucy continued rashly. "'You weren't all funny when you were watching them. "'I thought you were feeling sick or something, were you?' "'He turned on her, furious. "'What are you getting at? "'There's nothing the matter with me, "'and if I want to take the mickey out of old Jim Thacker, "'it's my business, isn't it?' "'Lucy said in a small, cold voice. "'There's no need to lose your temper.' Far away on the opposite hillside, ravens were croaking from a clump of trees. There was a wall of silence between them, no longer companionable. Kester was tearing a sprig of heather to bits, scowling. He muttered something. Lucy, from depths of misery and offence, said, What do you mean? It was like there was something making you do it. That's daft. He turned and glared at her, then got up. I'm going. You'd better come if you don't want to get left. You'd get lost up here, you would. She followed him through the heather a hundred yards behind and the morning disintegrated around them. Heat haze clamped down on the sharp detail of the hills and a car horn blared in the coom. Flies swarmed from the bracken. Lucy slapped her arms and legs, hot and irritable. They were following the sheep tracks with the bracken high around them. Kester was only just visible far ahead as a movement in the sea of green. She stumbled on, boiling with emotion and distress. Her shoe had rubbed a blister on her heel and she stopped to tie a handkerchief round it. When she stood up again Kester was no longer in sight. She stared round in dismay and then saw the bracken sway only a few yards ahead. He's come back for me. Well all right but I'm jolly well not going to be the first to say sorry. She saw the antlers first lifting above the bracken and then as she rounded a little twist in the sheep track the creature's head came into view staring out at her only a few yards from the path as it scrambled to its feet, head flung back as it scented her, already turning to bound away. She had only time to think, startled and half afraid, that it was much smaller than she had expected before it was gone, leaping through the bracken and down towards the coom. She wondered if Kester had seen it, and then remembered that she had lost sight of him. That movement had been the stag.
2: That's lovely. It's some beautiful nature writing there, isn't it? there?
0: Oh God, but isn't it? So I mean, we're in Petersfield, so I think we get a better view of it. But you know, really, London children would never have that experience good well tim that just about rounds it up john i want to thank you especially for not just sitting there today for asking <laughs> some really lovely questions my pleasure. um it was great it was really good so um next month tim i'm going to west dean i'm going to at last interview um two of my favorite authors uh leslie thompson who actually Help Greg Moss teach on the MA course, so that's where I came across her. And Ellie Griffiths, both crime writers, both you know fabulous in completely different ways. I won't say too much more about that now.
2: Great, well, thank you very much, Susie. Uh, as always, you can get your if you want to hear any of these any of our um, talking books programs again, you can get them from wherever you get your usually get your podcasts or online. And um, we look forward to seeing you next month. Bye for now. Bye-bye.
1: You have been listening to Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly, and produced by John Wellsman.
0: King of the allotments. So I've always been
2: keen on gardening, forever.
0: Petersfield Gardening Royalty. Growing Together on Shine Radio. Give it a go this year, you never know, and we're here on hand if you have any questions. Growing Together with Claire Venice and Steve Amos. New every month and always online at shineradio.uk.